0: Thank you, Ian and Stephen. Thank you for the men's retreat and leading us. and We appreciate your leadership in that. Uh, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Uh, Recently, I had the opportunity to go to the Marin Symphony and uh, uh, watch as the Adult Symphony joined with the Youth Symphony. And part of what they uh, did that day was uh, Peter and the wolf. And um, I don't know if you uh, have ever heard or seen that, um, but I I remember watching it and being part of it. uh, Some musicians brought it to my school when I was little. I don't know, seven or eight years old, perhaps. And uh, if you don't know the story, uh, Peter's with his grandfather, and um, he goes out of the gate by himself into the meadow, and it's all accompanied by instruments, and there are different animals, and a different instrument, and the orchestra represents a different animal. There's a bird and a duck and a cat and then Peter. And uh, Peter's grandpa comes out and gets really uh, onto him for going out into the meadow by himself because what if a wolf came out of the woods and got him, so Peter comes back to the house, and sure enough, as the animals are out playing, uh, the wolf emerges out of the woods and starts going after the animals and The hunters are far in the distance, and they 're on their way and uh, Peter goes up on the stone wall and he lowers a, a rope down and captures the the wolf and then this uh, he and the hunters go off in this triumphant procession off, having captured. The Wolf, but what I still remember probably like no other song ever, when I was uh, little at my school and uh, they they took us into our cafeteria that had been cleared and not only were there instruments there, but they had play actors and costume and uh, they were acting out the story. And uh, all of my life to this very day, um, when I went that as a young boy, I went to kind of take hold of the music a little bit But what I found in that particular story was that the music had somehow taken hold of me. Because even to this day, when I hear the French horns that represent the wolf, I still get tense in my body remembering the story and fearing for the animals and even Peter's life. You know, we... We go through our lives in pursuit of things, and we find sometimes that the certain aspects of life capture us. And as we stand today, one week after Easter, I want us to, to linger a little bit with the Easter story, and uh, we're going to read um, a different uh, portion of that Easter story, because it's so good in our lives as followers of Jesus or pursuers of Him that, that we linger long with the resurrection Because if we don't linger with the resurrection and and we don't really take hold well of the resurrection in our lives, then it really begins to uh, uh, detract from our faith. In fact, the scripture would say when Paul writes to the Corinthian church that uh, without the resurrection, um, the meaning of the cross loses its significance because it is also through the resurrection that we have validation that what Jesus said in his ability to take our sin and to introduce us into a real and living relationship with God, it is in the resurrection that that promise is actually validated. And the Bible says that if there is no resurrection, then there's no reason to gather in churches like this. There's no reason to pursue uh, the person of Jesus because he's a fraud and a fake and a liar. That's my addition, but... Paul says we're, we're to be pitied among, uh, above all people if there is indeed no resurrection. And there are hindrances that sometimes prevent us from taking hold of the resurrection. What I invite you and me to do this morning is to come back to the story with open minds and hearts and with spirits that are uh, ready and to come again to the empty tomb and to hear and to see the story once again. Let's read together Luke chapter 24 beginning in verse 1. On the first day of the week, this was Sunday morning, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how He told you while He was still with you in Galilee, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered His words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. What would your reaction have been? (laughs) I think I would have joined them. That's crazy! Verse 12. Peter, however got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Living God, we come to Your Word now needing to be filled and touched, that You would nourish us today, that You would speak to us, that we would have the joy of hearing You now. Be free among this, Your people, we ask this day. In the name of Jesus, together. Amen. Amen. Taking hold of the resurrection is something in our lives that we must do intellectually. It's really important that we wrestle with and grab hold of the resurrection of Jesus with our mental faculties. Because the resurrection is something that happened in history. It was a historical event. It was something that happened on a real day, in a real month in a real year, in a real place, it happened. It's a historical event. And if we were to continue reading in Luke 24, we would, we would find and see that Jesus, after the resurrection, He stands in their midst. And often we might gloss over that. Well, of course He stood, but the fact that He had died, and had really died, and now He had really been raised from the dead, and He's beginning to demonstrate that he is actually alive in the way that He stands before them. And not only does He stand, but He speaks. He speaks with a voice that can be heard and a voice that can be received. So He stands and He speaks to them. And that's very significant. Then He he offers the opportunity to touch His wounds, to see that, that there's a physicality to His resurrected body. Now, the Bible gives us some hints as to what that resurrected body was like. We get a little bit of hint and glimpse into it, but we don't totally know. We we think that it's probably uh, very similar, but something different. And and it gives some hints to us about what our resurrected bodies might also be like. So it's really fantastic to think about the resurrection and what it was and why it is significant. And then, I love it, he, he says, hey, do you guys have any snacks? And so they offer him some fish. And he takes the fish and... Hmm. Thank you. And what happens to the fish? It doesn't just fall on the ground because he's some spirit. It actually gets caught in his stomach, whatever that stomach was like, because there was real physicality to his body. He is demonstrating to them that the resurrection from the dead was an historical event. It actually happened, and he's returned in bodily form, and here he is. Here he is. These are all very important details. And then we know that it happened, or we, we trust in part because uh, the women are the first ones to the tomb, and the women are the first ones to report back, and that's a significant detail because there are some who would say, well, this, this was written 70 years or so later. And people were trying to, to prop up this sort of religious thing that was occurring and, and trying to go back and to, to recast Jesus and to add this story of resurrection. It didn't really happen, but but they had to add some details to it. And, and the fact is that if they were looking back, the fact that in the first century, in this part of the world, that a woman's testimony just wasn't as as honored or trusted as a man's testimony. And so if you were in the process of trying to build a story that was untrue, this is not a detail that you would add. In fact, you wouldn't even keep it in its replete in all of the accounts of the resurrection that it was the women who were the first at the tomb, and they're honored to be the first observers of the empty tomb. What an honor! that that is. And they're the first voices to come and to say, Jesus isn't there. This is the visit we had with these strange angelic beings and this is what they said. What an honor to be the first messengers of the resurrection. And so the story we think cannot be fabricated because this is a detail that wouldn't be added if you're making something up they're reporting what actually happened to be true and this would have been an embarrassment in a first century world dominated uh, by men and male leadership in that that regard so it happened historically but it was also not just an historic event a historical event it was an historic event it was unprecedented in history. These people, uh, I was talking with Steve just yesterday, and, and it just kind of bugs me, because I do this at times too, but, but when we look back at ancient cultures, and, and we, we sit with, me included, we sit with an arrogance in looking back in history, uh, that, that, well, those people were, were simpletons that they didn't really understand life. They, they weren't as sophisticated as we are today, and so they didn't really understand that, about death like we do today. And I just laugh at that now. I laugh at myself for ever thinking that, because ancient cultures were quite sophisticated, and their technologies were quite amazing. And the fact that, that they as people dealt with death a lot more than most of us will ever deal with death. They, they knew when a person died that they were dead. They lived around death. It was part of and parcel of life. And so they knew when Jesus died that it wasn't pretend. It wasn't just He had a low pulse. It wasn't that he, he swooned and somehow He was resuscitated on the brink of death but resuscitated back to life. Right? It wasn't a Romeo and Juliet story. That He was dead and dead. Dead meant dead. And they knew it. And He was buried. And we see that that it was such a historic event because these early followers of Jesus were not expecting Him to rise from the dead. I mean, they were stunned by it. They were concerned when they saw the tomb empty. Did you roll the stone away? No. No. Do you know who did? No. They look inside, where's the body? Did, do you know who took the body? No. They even turn, they, they talk to this person they think is the gardener, and they say, please, if you know where they took his body, can you tell us? I mean, they are so surprised by this development, because it had never happened before. And they weren't expecting it to happen. And it was only after it happened that they began to piece together and connect all of the dots of Jesus' teaching. When they they report it to the disciples, they're like, you you ladies, you don't know what you're talking about. Right? I would have said the same thing, and you would have too. You don't think so? I bet you would. I'll bet you a Pete's coffee, Dan, that you would have thought the same. But Peter, oh Peter, he gets up and he runs to the tomb and he has to check it out for himself. And the the, the disciples uh, later on in the chapters, they're heading from... Two of them are going from Jerusalem to a little village called Emmaus. And they're, they're trying to sort out what in the world has happened and what's gone. I don't get it. And even Thomas, you remember... A week later, we talked about this last week, that Jesus appeared to the the disciples at first and Thomas wasn't among them. And it took a whole week for Thomas to actually see the resurrected Jesus. And he said, unless I can see and touch the wounds in his body, I can't believe this. This is crazy talk. But because it's true and it really happened, it transformed all of them. It changed all of their lives and and it really set a whole different trajectory for the rest of their lives because of the truth of the resurrection. They too had to take hold of the resurrection intellectually. They were seeing the Jesus resurrected. They were hearing Him. They were eating with Him. They were talking to Him. And it was amazing. They had to wrestle with this intellectually for them as well. Taking hold of... The resurrection also is something not only intellectually, but it's also something we have to do spiritually. It's something that touches us. And I love what the angel said when the the women first arrived at the tomb. And the angel said this. He said, He's not here, He has risen. Remember how He told you while He was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised Again, what do they remind them of? The word that Jesus had spoken. That when, and boy, now it's, oh, well, oh, that's what he was meaning. Tear down this temple, and in three days I'll build it up again. Oh, okay, that's starting to make a little more sense to me now. God's word, God's word, these words that are reminded, brought to mention to them again, is what is so important in nourishing our souls and our spirit. My, uh, the house I grew up in, my mom, bless her heart, that uh, we didn't ever really have a meal unless it had meat accompanied with it. Right? Did anybody grow up in a home like that? It was only a real meal if you had meat. right? And she would often say, you need to eat this and hand it to me. And I was happy to eat it. <laughs> but she said, you need this because it will stick to your ribs. I was like, what do you mean, mom? She said, well, you know, in 30 minutes you're not going to be starving again. This will slinger with you longer. You know, the Bible is intended by God. God's Word is intended to be a stick-to-your-ribs kind of thing. The Bible is not just something that we take out and read occasionally. The Bible is something that we, we take and we feed on. And we we get into it and it gets into us because it nourishes Uh, You know, when Jesus described the work of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, one of the main things, one of the main jobs that He said that the Holy Spirit who would come after Him, one of His main jobs is to call back to mind the things that I, Jesus, have taught you. That is, that is the work of the Spirit, is to point us to Jesus and, and to help us nu- feed and be nourished on the Word of God. That's why in our ministry to children and youth, one of the, the significant aspects of that is, is encouraging Scripture memory and, and taking the Bible into them so that the Holy Spirit has extra things to work with in their lives and in ours as we, we go forward. Life is overwhelming at times. Our well-being can be overwhelmed and our faith can be undermined. And so the Word of God is what comes and feeds us and comforts us and reminds us of the promises of God, both in this life and for the life to come. It is God's Word that stirs us. It stirs us to action. The, the, The two disciples later in the passage as they're heading back from Jerusalem to Emmaus, uh, it's so funny because uh, this person, Jesus, comes, but to them, they don't recognize Him at that moment. And He begins to walk with them and says, hey guys, what are you talking about? And they're like, are you the only person in all of Jerusalem that has no idea what's happened this weekend? And He's like, what things? That's just that's probably the funniest part of the Bible to me. <laughs> like, what things? Tell me about it. God, get... Can you imagine Jesus walking beside you, saying, hey, tell me what has happened Good Friday and Easter. And you don't know who you're talking to. And so they begin to share. Well, okay, here's what happened. And so they're talking to Him. We're trying to figure out. And, and then uh, all of a sudden, they're, they're able to see and recognize who Jesus is. And He disappears from their, their presence. And as they begin to talk about the encounter that they just had with Jesus, here's what they say. They say, didn't our hearts... Burn within us as he began to open the scriptures to us. You see, God works in his Bible, God works in his word, and it stirs our hearts. John Wesley. The great um, English pastor, he, when he stood at Aldersgate there in England, and he talks about when he, he finally came to his own personal embrace and encounter with the risen Christ, that his heart was strangely warmed. I've shared with you when I was 13 years old that I went step foot in my very first Southern Baptist church at age 13, and I was chasing a girl because I wanted her to like me. And uh, it was an old-fashioned revival meeting, so I had five nights... To be around her. (laughs) Mom, can I go to this revival? Sure. (laughs) She had no idea why I was going. She was just glad I was there. (laughs) But on Monday night, I was there because I was trying to get this girl. And on Tuesday night, I realized, hey, there's somebody up here talking. (laughs) And on Wednesday night, I began to listen even closer. And by Thursday night, I was on my knees. My knees were on the floor, my elbows were in the pew, and I was praying to God. I had grown up in the church, but suddenly all that that I had been taught and exposed to crystallized in that moment. (laughs) And I came into an encounter with the risen Christ. And realizing what I needed most in my life as a 13-year-old was Jesus to remove the sin problem of my life and to adopt me as one of His children. And then I became a son, adopted in His family. And I still remember that moment because it felt like this physical weight was lifted off of my shoulders. I was relieved. I was relieved. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody's experience with Christ is you'll feel a a strange warming or you feel this relief off of your shoulders because God will work with you in the way that you can understand it, but you also have to cooperate with Him in the process. But when we come into an encounter with the risen Christ, something happens spiritually deep within us, and we are touched. I I love the new joy that we see in this story from the women. they they arrive and this tomb is empty and they're distraught and then these these weird people talk to them and remind them of what Jesus has said and then they go and report it and this new enthusiasm and the new joy because their spirit had been touched by the risen Christ and they were going to soon meet Him. And Peter, I, I love the contemplation that Peter has led to. I mean, could you imagine anybody... Anybody who would have loved to, to hear the news that Jesus was raised again and Peter, the one who had denied even knowing Jesus, I mean, you talk about a failure in the faith. Peter was it. But he wasn't going to be that way forever because God was about to restore him and renew him. And we see in the end of John 21, the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus gently restoring Peter. And then in the, the beginning chapters of Acts, it is Peter who stands up. In front of the same people that he cowered in fear before just a few weeks earlier, now he's standing up filled with courage and filled with a new purpose and intensity that only the resurrected Jesus could give this man, who just weeks before was running for his life, scared to death, and now he stands in courage. It's only the the saving, transforming touch of Jesus. And he comes, and he comes initially to the tomb, and he looks in, And he walks away wondering. That's what God does with us. He'll draw us into deeper places spiritually with Him. And and He invites us to to contemplative moments of our life where we we think more deeply about issues. Maybe we've known them for decades. And God will bring them back to us and we learn something that, that Jesus loves me. Well, yeah, I've sung about that my whole life. And now in my 40s, I'm learning what it means to have Jesus love me in a much deeper way. And God invites me to wonder about that and to contemplate that. And that is being touched spiritually in the Lord. And then I love how always the response to encountering the resurrected Christ is one of celebration and sharing. The women, what do they do? They go and they share it with the apostles. When these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, what do they do? They go and share it with the apostles. At the end of Luke, Jesus says that you're going to go out and share the reality of my resurrection with the entire world. That's the role of the church now. We then minister to each other with the hope of the resurrection. This past Thursday evening, Right here in this place, we had a memorial service for our brother Winshu. And uh, a man I, I grew to love, Jay's dad, every Sunday he would, he would stand up, as difficult as that was, and he would hug me, and he would say my name, and um, he had a hard time pronouncing my name, and, and I loved the way that he would say it, and, and I'm, I miss that already, that he's not here even today. We had a wonderful time remembering him and knowing the impact that he had on our church and our Chinese ministry. And if you weren't able to be at the memorial, we've left copies of his obituary out on the round table just as you exit the sanctuary. You're welcome to take one of those home and to rejoice in the life of Winshu. But this past Saturday, just yesterday at 3 o'clock, we had a memorial service for Irma Perrick as well. And uh, I want, Meg, would you come and and share what you shared yesterday, or at least part of what you shared?
1: Hello. Um, So Christina Clark was a very good friend of Irma's, and she prepared a statement um, about her relationship with Irma. And so I'm just going to share with you what Christina had written. Uh, She said she's been a friend of Mike's for a long time, and it was with joy that I embraced Irma when Mike first introduced her to me years ago. In the beginning of our friendship, because we both loved gardening, we spent most of our time together working on a vegetable garden in Mike's backyard. Irma had a natural gift for gardening and could grow new plants from the existing ones. I also need to mention that she was a good salsa dancer. I tried it, but couldn't do it. Over the years, I would invite Mike and Irma to church to worship here, and they came a few times. Irma asked me about my faith, so I shared it with her. And then the end of February, she asked me if she could be baptized in our church. So we arranged a meeting with Pastor Bryce for February 24th, to discuss what that means. And Irma was so happy after our meeting because she had decided to follow Christ and also to become a part of the church. Unfortunately, the cancer was progressing quickly now and Irma's pain was getting almost unbearable. So we scheduled her baptism as quickly as we could, which was March 4th. I was just praying that Irma would be able to make it to church for the baptism. Um, Not only did she have great difficulty with her body, but her husband, Mike, was very worried about her being exposed to all the germs and getting submerged in water. Understandably, he was afraid that her condition would get worse and she would catch a cold or the flu. But I was sure stressed because I felt we were running out of time. Well, the next day, the baptism came, and Irma came with all the strength that was in her. Not only was she baptized, but she also insisted on staying for the rest of the service. Thank you, Lord, and thank you for all who prayed in the church and for my family. Irma sent me a note the next day. It said, Christina, I thank you very much for all the beautiful that you have given. And the greatest gift today is to make my dream that we should all have to receive Jesus Christ in our hearts, to die and live as our Creator did. And then the next day, Christina got another note from Irma. Irma had been reading um, from Luke 22 about the Lord's Supper, and she felt a great need to participate in the Lord's Supper. So Christina thought, okay, now I have another job. i got to make Irma's wish come true. So I was not alone, though, as a few other sisters from the church were standing by helping Irma met them during the baptism, and so we also had a blessed time together in Irma's living room, sharing John 14 and a time of prayer in her, li- yeah, in her living room. So I took some time off from work some mornings, and as I was praying with Irma on March 19, I heard a knock on the door, and we had a great surprise. My sisters from church had come with a portable communion set for four people, Irma was laying down because she had been very weak and hadn't been eating. But she pushed herself up, and we shared the gospel, had confession, and took the communion to remember Jesus, his love, his death, and his giving us new life. We all prayed, and Irma prayed too. It was a very happy moment, a very holy moment. Irma's face was so radiant with happiness because she got to commemorate the death of Jesus and his rising again. After that, she ate a whole bowl of soup and some fruit. Um, Irma found great comfort in the scripture, and when she could no longer read, I read her the Bible. We read the book of Ruth and the book of Psalms. She never complained. She was so strong. She endured all the terrible pain in her body. She was truly a gift from God. I learned so much with her. It was painful to see her in pain. And I prayed for mercy. I am happy that she is now in his hands and there is no more pain. She is in paradise with the other believers and with Jesus. Thank you.
0: Indeed, uh, we got to baptize here Irma. Uh, she was not well uh, long known in our church, and um, what a joy that was And to minister to so many. I just want to end our time today. Steve, if you could go ahead and come to the piano and just an extended reading about why the resurrection matters, not just in history, but for our future. 1 Corinthians 15, a portion of what it says is this. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead, but He did not raise Him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when He hands over the kingdom to God the Father after He has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Listen, I tell you a mystery. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. My friends, what we discover when we take hold of the resurrection intellectually, spiritually, is that The resurrection, in fact, begins to take hold of you. It begins to shape your thinking. It begins to shape your living in this life. And it prepares you for your eternal life to come. Living God, we thank You for this Word today. And we pray that You would help us take hold of Your resurrected life. Because you are the one who, with it and through it, really takes hold of us. You shape us. You guide us. You comfort us. You feed us. May our minds and our intellect take hold of the resurrection. May we spiritually be moved and shaped because of the resurrection. And we hope in this life and the life to come only because of the resurrection. We thank You, Jesus, for Your willingness and for the work that You've done for us. Amen. Amen. We're going to find our last song together and we're going to sing together. And it's an opportunity, perhaps you don't know really what the resurrection is. You don't know what it is to take hold of the resurrection or to have the resurrection take hold of you and you would like to learn more about what that means, I'll be standing here at the front while we're singing. You're welcome to come and meet me here at the front. There's also a phone number on the bulletin in your hands. You can call us this week and we'll be happy to, uh, to set up a time and begin to have a conversation.